Well, today's the last Sunday, as uh, we said earlier, and uh, the, the last Sunday. Uh, let me finish that sentence a different way, uh, or add something to it at least. It's the last Sunday of a seven-week series we've been doing called Through the Bible in Seven Weeks. And some of you, it's the first time here today, you're going, you guys must be crazy. Well, it was challenging, for sure, and it, it's obviously a bird's-eye view, as we've, as we've said, um, but the feedback we've gotten has just been so, so positive. There's, there's evidence by testimony of many of you of a growing love for the Bible, which we believe 100% to be fully God's Word to us. He loves us that much that He uh, reveals Himself and His plan and His purpose for our lives uh, this way, and... Uh, those of you who also chose to be in a small group, we call it Same Page Focus, where Sunday morning and small groups uh, track on the same study, which we've done, and it's been so good uh, and way to go. For those of you that prioritize time in busy life, it, it just, just way to go for that. Uh, it's eternal stuff of, of giving and receiving in, in community in a small group, which we have experienced as, as Miriam and I have, have a great group of people together uh, Wednesday nights. If you missed previous messages, you can listen online. I encourage you to do that. But we started September 29th uh, by looking at the first five books of the Bible, which dealt with, obviously, beginnings. And then we flew over the 12 history books, Joshua to Esther, that detail, remember, the, uh, the, the, the life, uh, the people uh, of Israel and the life of the people of Israel in the promised land. And then the five wisdom books uh, from Job to Song of Solomon. And then we hit on the 17 uh, minor and major prophets that Harvey led us through in one message on that Sunday uh, a few weeks ago. And by the way, again, if you're joining us new, uh, for the first time, we've said that the Bible is made up of 66 books written, we believe, by God's uh, Holy Spirit directing uh, human writers, uh, written over a time period of 1,200, 1,500 years, uh, 40 different writers, um, uh, three different, from, from three different continents in, in three original uh, languages, and still with a common, dominant, prevailing theme throughout, and that theme being God's plan to bring his human creation, you and me, back into personal and eternal relationship with himself. Scholars refer to that as the, the scarlet thread through scripture. It's very powerful. And, and then anyway, two Sundays ago, we looked at the four historical reliable, historically reliable accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the Gospels, the first four books of the, of the New Testament, as opposed to old. Old, you look, think about as before Christ, before God came in human flesh to earth for the purpose of bringing us into relationship with himself. So the Old Testament talks about the lead up to that. It's like people were looking ahead in faith to this Messiah, this Savior, this Jesus. And in New Testament times, he's come, and we look back in faith on what Jesus did and, and who he is. And then the last week we covered the 21 letters of the New Testament from Romans to Jude. And we grouped the history book of Acts in there as well with that section. Uh, the, the letters were written by individuals, as we said last week, or by individuals, yes, with the leading of the Holy Spirit, but to individuals and to churches about how to live this Christ-following life, how to live in community with one another as Christ-followers, and how to live in a way that's attractive and loving in a world that is broken and hurting and separate from God. Some great stuff we've covered in seven weeks. Um, 
And really, we could spend a lifetime, couldn't we, studying the Bible? And, and as Christ followers, we, we must. But this seven-week series, was, it was intended to give an, an, an overview and a broad understanding of the various sections of the Bible, as well as to inspire us to love it more and to dig into it more. And I have seen evidence of that in my own life and in many of you, as you've shared. So today, we look at the book of Revelation on its own, simply uh, because it's, it's fairly unique. And if you're a guest here today, you get in on the wildest part, <laughs> actually. And if the Bible is something you've never explored, I'd probably say that after today's message, I'd say, talk to someone you know who's a Christ follower first, and then pick up a challenge to read the fourth gospel account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel of John. And it shows Jesus to be not just a man, but God. So anyway, that's just a, an aside. And, and so about, about Revelation, about this book, the last book of the Bible, it, it's uh, you know, something we see portrayed maybe in different ways, uh, the sci-fi book of the Bible, or the, the fantasy book of the Bible, or the, the movie. You know, it, I, we, we gotta, there's some, I understand that, but th- this, is, this is a word for us today from God, as wild as it is. It's the, it's the record of a God-given vision to a guy named John, who, uh, the, the Apostle John, who, who, who wrote that same book of the Gospel of John that I just referenced, uh, and also wrote those three little letters near the back of the New Testament, named after himself, the first letter, the second letter, and the third letter of John. He wrote those as well. He wrote this vision down in about A.D. 95, 95 A.D. And the book reminds us that the final uh, showdown between God and Satan is coming. It is coming. And that evil will ultimately be defeated forever. And God's people, those who have uh, trusted in his offer of grace through Christ, will enter. They will enter. I believe it with all my heart. Uh, an eternity of blessing and uninterrupted joy and peace and love in God's very presence. Heaven. Please don't lose sight of that future reality as we, as we talk about some mind-boggling things in the next little while. And again, some things that, that we can't fully understand. I want to be very honest about that. Uh, and speaking with my, my dad who's been teaching the book of Revelation in all different contexts here for years and, and in Bible colleges overseas, just hearing him say, there are so many opinions on so many different things, it's unreal. But let me say this, that's okay. I'll I'll come to that in a moment. Revelation contains symbols and Old Testament references to reveal the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise. Remember we talked about September 29th? That promise from God to Abraham in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, that all nations would be blessed through him and through his family, which was a clear reference to the coming of Jesus as Savior through the Jewish family. God in human flesh. Need a Jewish, or sorry, you need a a human family to to make that happen. And 
God chose in his sovereignty, in his, uh, in his own divine plan, the, the Jewish family, Abraham starting that. And it, it, it's, it's why God fought so intensely. Some of that Old Testament stuff, you know, hard, hard to grapple with um, uh, of what took place there between nations. And, and, uh, but but it, was, it was God fighting uh, tenaciously to protect Israel from the evil nations around them that literally wanted to, to wipe them out. They did. Uh, they wanted to destroy them. And, and that doesn't change, I guess. And then there's a spiritual reason for that. So we need to remember that. When we read about, um, or what we read about in Revelation is the future time when God's big story, as we've referred to it in this series, is, is seen finally being accomplished. Seen throughout the Bible, but finally completely coming to fruition. So here's how Revelation starts. First verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. The word shortly, don't be thrown off by that. Time when you're an eternal being, which is hard to fathom, of course. When you're, when you're talking eternity, a thousand years is short <laughs> to God, right? Okay, so, uh, so um, where were we? Show his servants, things which must shortly take place. Blessed is he who reads, listen to this, blessed, blessed. Is he who reads, or she who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Revelation is, is packed with imagery of John. He's trying hard, and I'm sure he struggles at times to describe what he saw. Uh, more from Revelation 1. I, John, was on the island that is called Patmos. Patmos was a, a prison island. And why was he there? Because he loved Jesus. That's why he, he says it right here in, in uh, verse 9. Um, for the word of God. I was, I was on the island Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I heard a voice behind me, a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the, the beginning and the end, right? The Greek, letter, uh, Greek letters of the alphabet, uh, first and the last. And he says that, the first and the last and... What you see, write it in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And then he goes on to list those seven churches. Verse 12, he says, then I turned to see the voice. If you hear a loud voice behind you, what do you do? You turn around. John's telling us that's what he did. Who, who is this? What's going on? I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, which is a reference to the seven churches that we read about very soon, one like the Son of Man, capital S, capital M, that's Jesus Christ, clothed with a garment down to his feet. He goes on to describe that a little bit. And then verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead in humility, in worship, aware of his, uh, how fallible he was, how sinful he was. Ah, but Jesus is merciful. What happened? But he laid his, hand, his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I live forevermore. And the story is that he wants to give us the life that he has that is eternal. It's true. What, a, what, a, what an amazing experience John is, is, is experiencing. And so, the seven letters, let's talk about those. Back in uh, Revelation 1, verse 4, John writes to the seven churches which are in Asia. And then, in chapter 2 and 3, uh, those chapters contain the specific messages 
that God gave him to share with those churches and to uh, what's referred to as each church's angel, which a uh, few opinions on what that is, not whatever, it's not a huge deal, but it's most likely a simple reference to the pastors in each of those churches because the word angel there means, or the word angel means messenger. Uh, not, probably not because pastors are angels. Miriam, anything to contribute here or, okay. Uh, yeah, so anyway. Uh, it's, it's worth mentioning that seven, the number seven, is a key uh, number throughout Revelation. Seven spirits, seven golden lampstands, seven stars, seven seals, seven trumpets, and more. Uh, just again and again, you see it. The number seven symbolizes completeness. Completeness. In other words, the seven lampstands we just read about are the seven churches which represent the complete body of Christ. And there's a message there. Because those churches were different, different in personality, not different in message. They served the same Jesus, the same God who came in human flesh and was fully God, fully man, can't comprehend it, but that's what the Bible says. They shared that in common. They shared the understanding of the only way to get to God was through Jesus because of his death and dealing with the penalty of sin himself for us. They all shared that in common. Those are non-negotiables. But they were, they were different churches. Seven, indicating completeness, the body of Christ. And the variety that there can be. The beauty in that. So, the use of the number seven throughout Revelation also is fitting because Revelation, what does it do? It completes the message of the Bible, doesn't it? And, and the discussion of end times and, uh, and God's redemptive plan, as we've said, comes to fruition. I want to state at the beginning of this message that numerous things, as I guess I've already said it, uh, are viewed in, in this book differently by different Scholars and, and discussion, even debate, is, uh, can, can be good, uh, helpful at, at, at some, or helpful some, sometimes, let me say that, if it's done in a, in a loving way, of course. However, I would say this, along with that, that precious time can also be wasted, and I think at times has been wasted, on debating things that don't matter as much as focusing on living out what Jesus said until he comes. What was the phrase? Occupy till I come. Occupy, he said, till I come. In other words, be, be living this message of love in your world. Be sharing this message of, of my grace in your world until I come. That's what we're to be doing. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, debate till I come. I'm not coming until you guys figure it out. <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> We'd be waiting probably. He, he didn't say, try to figure it out when I'm, you know, try to figure it out uh, when I'm coming back. He didn't say that either. Some people are more captivated by trying to guesstimate when Jesus will return rather than endeavoring to live a spirit-filled witness for Christ to, to show and share his love with people who don't yet know him personally. There's whole books and series and life given and, and television shows. and I, You know, some of that stuff is okay. But you understand what I'm saying. So the seven churches that John wrote to were actual churches. I think we know that uh, at that time. But these corrective and guiding words that we read to those seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 are still so very applicable to us today. Uh, these letters, each of them, start off with Jesus saying, you know, uh, this is what you're doing well. Here are some things that I just want to commend you for. Way to go. Good job. And then, um, you know, but, but here's, here's, where, here's where I see some room for growth. 
Here's where some improvement is needed. For example, the letter, first letter, Church of Ephesus, Revelation 2, 2 and 3. I know all the things you do. Good. And then he commends them specifically for things like their hard work, their, their doctrinal, uh, doctrinal purity, staying true to what he has shown them. Um, uh, he, he commends them for rejecting false teachers who have wrong motives and, and, and just want to you know, twist what is truth. Uh, he, he commends them for rejecting that type of teaching. He, he commends them for their endurance through persecution. God's saying, good job. Here, there's some great stuff there. But here's something that needs attention. And to the church in Ephesus, he, he talks about their love. You, you don't love me like you used. You don't love one another. We're not going to love one another well, folks, if we don't Passionately love God. The two are, 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 are go together, don't they? And so his challenge for the church at Ephesus was, I mean, look, he said, he said look how far you've fallen is, is actually what he says there in, in uh, Revelation 2. Because their, their heart had grown cold. Easy for that to happen. Fairly easy in any relationship, right? It takes intentionality. And so he's challenging them to, to come back, turn back to me. Love me and love others. Because that's the best for you, for them, for the world, for the message of God's grace, right? So that's the pattern we see in the seven church, commendation and then loving correction. Now, let's walk through some of the headlines. Uh, and, and once again, regarding some of the differing views and the different interpretations of the timing of some of these events, uh, you know, uh, that's okay. There's, there's, again, wiggle room on, on some things for there to be different perspectives. Uh, and I reiterate, unless you're talking about things like who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, biblically non-negotiable. Because those things uh, have an impact on our eternal salvation. That's why those truths are, are so vital. So let's look at something referred to as the rapture. <laughs> this is a completely supernatural event. And some of you have read about it in Paul's letter to uh, first in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse sixteen. He describes it: the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout at a point in time, with a voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Paul spoke elsewhere, I think it's Philippians, where to be absent from the body, in other words, when we die as Christians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the spirit, the real us, it goes to be with Jesus. And it appears like in this moment that the spirit comes, the body is resurrected, recreated, we're told we're given new bodies, glorified bodies that'll be able to function in the realm that we can't even comprehend right now. And so that's taking place. And then Paul says in verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians, uh, I'm going to slow down, 1 Thessalonians 4. Can you tell I got a lot to get through? <laughs> I'm hungry already. I want lunch too, okay? So let's, we're there. Um, Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain, and he's talking to Christians, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. If you know Jesus and you know where you're going to spend eternity by the grace of God, there's comfort in that, right? Many of you know that. <laughs> I love to see the head nod because it's so true. It is so true in this broken world that's tough sometimes. Hmm. Wow. Not escapism. It's just what's going to happen. It's going to be good. But if you don't know Jesus and you're uncertain about your eternity, that's, that's a different discussion. And God's reaching out to you today, maybe, on those, on those things. 
Two-word phrase caught up that we just read is the, is the God-orchestrated, the totally God thing, snatching away from the earth of those who are Christ followers at this God-appointed time. When God is going to say, you know what? Enough. Enough of this. Those of you who love me and follow me, you're, you're all coming to be with me in heaven now. Here we go. And that starts things rolling. Friends, I, I know. <laughs> this is just, I don't know, how, it's absolutely wild stuff, isn't it? And, and even difficult to, to imagine, really. But God is able to do anything. If you believe he created everything we see and everything out there that we don't and can't, it's not tough to think he can do this, to believe that he can do something this wild. There are three common ideas about the timing of the rapture relative to something called the tribulation. In Revelation. The tribulation is a future seven-year period that the Old Testament prophet Daniel uh, speaks about. Uh, when, when someone called the Antichrist will rise to power in the world, he's a counterfeit Christ, according to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He is the culmination, the Antichrist, the culmination of Satan's rebellion against God that has gone on since he got the boot out of heaven. Read Isaiah 14 about that because he wanted to, he thought he deserved to be on the throne in heaven. Sin, pride. A bunch of the angels agreed with him and got, got the boot as well. So this is the culmination of Satan's rebellion that has gone on for so long. And it will be a time, the tribulation will be a time of great evil and great suffering. The judgment upon the Antichrist kingdom is described in a, in a triad of judgments referred to. And we're, we're just going to mention this, no time to, to go into them. But Revelation 6, chapter 6, chapter 8, and chapter 16 talk about the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. And those are simply the uh, imagery that... Uh, that John wrote to, to describe what are some judgments of God upon an unrepentant, at that time, an unrepentant world and upon the Antichrist and his system. So regarding the ideas about the timing again of the rapture relative to the tribulation, there's, there's three, there's probably a few more, I, I, I think, not, not many, but three primary ones that we hear about. Pre-tribulation, so that in other words, the rapture, some believe that, that will happen before this seven-year period of tribulation. Mid-trib, is where? You guessed it, in the middle. Uh, broken into three and a half year segments, and, and they're different a little bit. Uh, Post-tribulation, some believe that it will happen at the end of those, that seven-year period of, of tribulation. Whenever it happens, God knows best. And that's not a, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I just, I'm wired to not give a lot of argument to, to stuff like this and debate. Because there's people that I've read and heard, they can make a case, any one of these, actually. Biblically. Uh, so it, it's like, really? What? Come on. Why can't I figure this out? Well, you can spend a lot of time on that. And if there's interest, it's good to study, good to read. I'm not saying that. Please don't misunderstand. But anyway, whenever it happens, God knows best. If, if Christ followers end up going through the tribulation, especially the last half, the last three and a half years, the worst part of it, I, 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 just, I just believe that their, their trust in God will sustain those believers to face everything that they will have to face. Or we may have to face, uh, as has been the case for many believers in many centuries in, in facing just tyrants of, of persecution, right? Uh, God is the same God, and that's what we have to lean into. Don't let fear take over in this discussion. Please don't. Please don't. God's got it, and God's got you if you trust and you surrender, right? Even as he does daily now. So please let that 
lift you and, and, and deal with any fear that might come as you, as you read this stuff. But I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't, there, there's, there's no beneficial purpose to debating when the rapture will occur as I see it. Jesus, Jesus just said, be ready. Be growing in Christ. Be cultivating a heart of loving God and loving people well. Until I return, keep being salt and light. Be ready. Keep reflecting my love and my grace in your world and in your relationships. That's the most important thing. So, during this tribulation period, the Antichrist has power. Listen to how John describes the Antichrist in Revelation 13. And I saw a beast. In other words, the Antichrist is so evil as Satan's representative that he's called here a beast. Verse 4 tells us that the world will follow and even worship him. Crazy. And then verse 7 and 8 says, It was granted to him, the Antichrist, to make war with the saints, to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written. That's who. Whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, which is capital L, a reference to Jesus Christ. On the symbolism of Old Testament sacrifice for sin, Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, sacrificed, willingly gave his life for us. So that's the word lamb. So there's this, this book of life uh, that the lamb that Jesus possesses, slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, again, there's a reference to God's time is not an issue. From the foundation of the world, way back when, it was Jesus was, was, was sacrificed. It's like it, I don't know, maybe like it already happened. But uh, anyway, that's a sidebar conversation that I'm not unpacking very well, but no time. Let's talk later. Uh, it appears that for the first half of the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist will be winning the world's trust. And then the second half, it's like the mask will, will, be, will be peeled away and the Antichrist's rule becomes intense and overtly evil. Uh, the Antichrist will have the influence and power in the world uh, for a time, but it won't last long. Verse 24, uh, sorry, verse, verse 16 to 18. He forced everyone, the Antichrist, forces everyone to receive a mark on his right hand uh, or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. And verse 18 is where the, the number is identified as 666. Uh, the Antichrist will have economic control. So without the mark, this, this mark, uh, mark of the beast as the Bible calls it, indicating your uh, allegiance to the Antichrist, you, you can't sell, you can't operate in the economy, uh, you can be can't buy food, um, it's quite a time, quite a time. And during this period, uh, it appears like there, yeah, there will be people that will, whether they go into it being Christ followers or not, they will realize that I, I know what this is about. I'm not, I'm not given my eternal allegiance to this. And life will get what Revelation describes it to be. The Antichrist is evil, will lead the world. He will set himself up as God. But again, that will only last so long. Another headline is uh, the second coming of Christ that will ruin his party, the Antichrist party. Jesus said that one day he will come again to earth, Revelation twenty two twelve. Behold, I am coming soon, is how uh, those words in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible are stated by Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The author of this series, as we've said, is, is James Emery White, pastors in the, the U.S., and did this series in his church and made it available, and so we thank him for that. But he talks about a little book that he remembers back in the mid-'80s uh, called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 19. 19- 
88. Okay, some of you read some of this stuff. I mean, one little detail that the author missed. I mean, this, this author, he, he went to great lengths, according to uh, James Emery White, uh, went to great lengths to prove that Jesus would return by then. He listed Bible verses, political events, so-called interpretations of numbers, and again, concluded on, yep, it's 1988. Okay? Well, one little detail he missed was the clear statement of Jesus. No one knows the day or the hour of his return. You can read that in Matthew 24, Jesus' words. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Anyway, that's another topic too. Boy, there's a lot of... Boy, I'm, I'm doing pretty good though to keep off those rabbit trails today, aren't I? Come on, give me some props. I'm just kidding. I, stop, I didn't mean that. Stop. <laughs> well, okay, it did feel kind of good. No, just kidding. Um, the failures of people or groups who have attempted to forecast the time of Jesus' return, does not mean that it will not happen. Don't just forget about it all because of that. They're only, as we all are as Christ followers, imperfect representations of Jesus. So don't write it off. That's a principle applicable in many areas there, isn't it? Don't write it off because you've had a bad experience. You don't know how many times I hear that. Don't write it off. And many of those are testimonies of people re-engaging with church here, and they talk about this this, this week, a conversation. Someone who had a bad experience, they, 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 they've written the church and Jesus off for years, and here they are experiencing it in a, in a, in a way that they are, are feeling. And, and they, they really, they put it on you, church family. You need, to, you need to know this. I didn't plan to say this, but way to go, because the, the, the big thing was the first time they walked in here, and ever since, from back in June, have felt love from this church family. I, I, wow, that's awesome. So anyway, way to go. Um, when Jesus came the first time, remember? We're heading toward Christmas. He came as a babe in a manger. Next time, it will be as King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus came the first time, he, he, he ended up on a cross being crucified. Well, well this time, next time, he, he will be sitting on a throne with power and glory and authority to lead us into eternity with him. It's powerful. Revelation 19, 11, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. It's Jesus Christ. And then in verse 19 of chapter 19, we see Satan yet again attempts to thwart God's purpose and plans. I saw the beast, the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. This is called, what some of you may have heard before, the battle of Armageddon. And it won't be much of a fight, really. We, we, we read that Satan and, and the Antichrist are defeated quickly. And I'll let you read that on your own in, in uh, Revelation 19, 11 to 21. Cra crazy stuff again. <laughs> then there's something called millennium. The millennium. The vision God gave John unfolds these events in Revelation 20. That once defeated in the battle of Armageddon, Satan will cast, be cast into a place that John calls the bottomless pit. And, and so he can't deceive people anymore for a period of 1,000 years. That's the name millennium, right? Uh, then verse 4 says that those who did not follow the Antichrist, they live and reign with Christ during this period. It will be a time when life is lived and functions exactly the way God originally intended before sin entered our world through the first choice, through, through the choice of our, our first human parents. 
So, after this thousand-year period, moving quickly, Revelation 20, verse 7 says that after Satan is released from his prison, he'll deceive and gather nations in another attempt to defeat God and his saints, the Bible says, and Jerusalem. Satan's a slow learner. And by the way, the word saint is simply another word for Christ follower. It doesn't mean someone who's perfect. doesn't mean someone who the church votes in to be special status. No. New Testament, saint refers to every person who has chosen to follow Christ. If if you've done that, you're a saint. Remind your spouse of that today. Verse 9 tells us that God deals with this quickly, this uprising, with fire from heaven and devours them. More crazy stuff. And then the very next verse, verse 10 says, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they were tormented day and night forever. Then comes the great white throne judgment. Again, we don't have time to say too much at all here. You can read about it in Revelation 20, uh, 11 to 15. This judgment will be for those who in this life, you know, um, did not receive the gift of God's grace through Christ. Did not uh, embrace Christ uh, as, as we saw testimonies of today, people that stand at the great white throne judgment uh, in this life chose to reject God's offer of forgiveness and eternal life, which causes us to think about where we will spend eternity. And the Bible is clear on that. There's two places. There's heaven, there's hell. And most people don't have a problem, you know, talking about hell or believing in, sorry, talking about heaven or even, even believing in heaven. But according to Jesus, Hell is a very real place where very real people whom he loves very much go after a very real judgment of those who, again, have rejected God's offer of forgiveness and grace and eternal life through Christ. Hell is filled, and the Bible is clear about this, it's filled with unspeakable torment and and loneliness, mostly because it's a place where God is not. You need to know that God never created hell for us. As you read the word of God, it was created for Satan and his demons before he had even uh, created the world and before uh, Satan came and deceived our first human parents. Sometimes people ask, how can a loving God send someone to hell? The answer is he doesn't. We send ourselves there if we choose to not receive God's gift of forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus Christ. And, 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 and God's heart breaks more than anyone's for those he has pursued, lovingly pursued all of their life. It's the role of the Holy Spirit. It happens in every human heart, I believe. The author of the Narnia series, C.S. Lewis, puts it this way, that there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who said to God during their lifetime, your will be done. And those God will say at the end of time, your will be done. Sobering. Sobering. And then there's the judgment seat of Christ. Take note of the Bible reference. On the screen, there are the Bible references you can read on your own. This judgment is for Christ followers. If you stand at this judgment, it is not whether or not you will get into heaven. That's already decided. You're you're in, as it were. 
But rather, it will be about what we did with the opportunities God gave us to serve and honor Him in this life and with what attitude and what motive we served Him. He will judge us on. Need to move ahead for time's sake. Jumping, jumping ahead to slide 33. New heaven and new earth. In Revelation 21, John describes what God showed him in this vision of his. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Interesting. Uh, kind of a combo thing here. For the, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 talks about this. Uh, that this world, uh, this earth, this it will be destroyed. Peter talks about the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief in verse 10. 2 Peter 3, sorry. Then the heavens will pass away with terrible noise and, every, uh, and the very elements themselves will dis- disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found uh, to deserve judgment. So it's, it's, a, it's a, again, a wild thing where uh, there's a new heaven and a new earth that, that God will create for us to uh, enjoy and, and abide in forever. Listen to Revelation 21 about heaven. It says, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All those things are gone forever. How great is that? The new heaven and the new earth, as it's referred to, will be the most dynamic, exhilarating, exciting uh, existence that you could ever possibly imagine for all eternity. And he wants, God wants every one of us to be there. And that's why he sent Jesus, to pay for our sin, which is the, the barrier between uh, me and God and, and, and you and God. Uh, Jesus willingly came to die under sin's penalty so, so we wouldn't have to. And so that we could live eternally with him, forgiven. Jesus rose from the dead to prove that he could defeat sin and death. And the resurrection isn't just something fun to, you know, talk about at Easter. It is is verifiably authentic. 500 witnesses. Extra biblical historians talking about this. I mean, you study the resurrection. there's There's been numerous. Josh McDowell is one. Years ago, set out as a university student to disprove the resurrection. Studied it hard for two years. Became a Christ follower. And has been casting the important message of the resurrection ever since. It's powerful. Jesus rose from the dead. I better listen to everything else he says. If he didn't, well, even the apostle Paul in Corinthians says, we may as well shut the doors and go home. We're wasting our time here. Jesus did not rise from the dead. But he did. I believe it to my core. And heaven is the outcome for those who trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross and, and, and confess, as Romans 10, 9, and 10 uh, talks about, that Jesus is Lord. Heaven is perfect intimacy. Heaven is breathtaking beauty. Heaven is never-ending adventure of joining God in His pursuits and eternal plans. Sign me up. Oh yeah, I've already signed up. Hmm. To put it that way, I don't know if that's right or not, but you know what I mean. I place my faith in Christ, as so many of you have. And the Bible says because of that, not because of, not because of who we are or what we can do or what we can accomplish or that, that our good will outweigh our bad, because that may or may not happen. It's not based on that based on our trust in who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, that he took care of the penalty of sin, which God had declared before sin was ever in the world, that death 
separation eternally would be the penalty. Jesus died so we wouldn't have to. Thank you, God, for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to step in and take that hit for me. I surrender to you. It's as simple as that, my friends. If that's not something that you've done before. Your eternity is at stake. And I don't say that as a, can't be fear motivated, but it's just biblical truth that I, again, believe to my core. I ask you to just bow your heads, if you would, in these moments. And those of you that know Christ personally, I'm just going to ask you to pray because I believe there's probably some in the room here this morning who um, maybe this whole thing of what it means to be a Christ follower is just really new to them or, they, or they've, they've heard about it from a friend or, or they have a grandma who, who they know was a genuine Christian and, and grandma's praying for them. And, but they've never, maybe, maybe this is you that, you, that you've never approached God and just said, I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That he died for me so I could live eternally. I want to receive that gift from God's hand this morning. I surrender my life. I turn from my sin. I turn from my old way of living to live as God would want me to live. And yeah, I'm going to stumble, but, I, but there's a body of believers who are going to help me. And the Bible is going to be a source of encouragement. I want to li live that way now. And I want to know for sure when I lay my head on the pillow tonight that I'm going to be in heaven forever. And I don't understand all of the stuff that was talked about this morning, but I know I'm going to be in heaven forever because of the grace of Jesus given to me at my request. Huh. Grace, receiving God's love, receiving what we don't deserve. But thank you, Jesus. If I just described you and you're ready this morning to say, hey, I don't have it all figured out, but I know God loves me and I want to surrender my life to Him and know that I am going to heaven for eternity. I want to know that this morning. I invite you. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. Please know that. But I, I, I'd really love to celebrate with you if you would just raise your hand, look my way, and I'll just include you in a closing a general prayer as we close in just a few moments. Anybody? would say, that's me. I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. I want to trust in Christ this morning. Look my way. Raise your hand right now. I'll give you just a moment. Anybody at all? Make that decision today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone in this room today. Thank you for your truth that you've given us Thank you for the, the word of God, some of which we, we, we don't understand fully, but what we need to understand is so abundantly clear, and you made it that way, that God loves us, and Jesus died for us, and he rose from the dead to show us his power over sin and death, to deliver to us what we need for an eternity with you. And, I, and so many of us, we thank you. If those, those, for those that may be in this room, for whom have not made that commitment of their life to you, Lord. May you continue to lovingly, gently, as your Holy Spirit works, speak to them. And draw them to yourself to see that they are just so loved by you, God. 
And you want them with you in your eternal heaven. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.